Episode 88 The Moon by Healing Insights with Jen The moon holds all secrets, yours and mine. It is a divine circumstance, not a random chance. The moon may appear busy with its changing phases and varied dance across the sky. It is no secret. It is a gift from above the dance of give and receive. It is limitless and accessible to all. The capacity to hold is unchanging. The moon listens to my heart. It is with gratitude that I join and dance with the stars. Greetings and welcome into the Patuxent General. I am your host, Jess. This week, the Halloween season continues with a super beefy stuffed heart. We bring you a refreshing and unusual Chimeo cocktail and discuss the dangerous and very spooky Connecticut Lighthouse. By the way, if you are in the village this month, stop by and check out the Scarecrow competition. Most of the businesses in the village have entered a scarecrow, including the general itself. Voting can be done at the Cork and Brew or Twice Told Tales for a dollar. There is a wide variety of types to choose from, and it makes for a lovely walking fall event. You can find the Patuxent General's addition to the bunch in front of Eden Flowers on the lamppost. If you dig it, please vote for us. Perhaps you'll catch me down there updating the board with this week's menu for the market. But until then, I must thank our Patreon subscribers. These Halloween celebrators cut the triangle eyes, nose, and teeth, scoop out the fleshy seeds, and light the candle in the jack-o'-lantern that is the Patuxent General, without whom we would merely be a pumpkin. If you would like early downloads, direct content to ask any questions of me, and special one-of-a-kind content, simply follow the links in the show notes or look for our page on patreon.com. A small donation means all the world to us, so thank you in advance. And let's make a drink, shall we? This week at the Patuxent Village Farmer's Market, we at the General were lucky enough to sample some of the season's first apples. I bought Macintosh. They are small, very crisp, sweet, and have a mottled red color. Barden Family Orchard in Situate, Rhode Island, not only brought my Macs, but also pears, Honeycrisp apples, apple cider donuts, apple sauce, sweet corn, and of course, apple cider. Cider, as you might already know, is raw, unfiltered, unsweetened, and usually unpasteurized. This gives it its distinctive cloudiness and crisp taste. I can never resist, and all season long we go through jug after jug. Needless to say, I'm always looking for a new way to consume it. My mother used to cut acorn squashes in half, and then fill the cavity with apple cider and a cinnamon stick, then bake them for 50 minutes at 350 degrees. So yummy. 
Martha Stewart makes a breathtaking apple cider donut cake, which is worth checking out. Whole wheat flour and olive oil fortify the cake, so I say it's perfect for breakfast. But today, we are using that amazing Barden cider to make a Chimeo cocktail. It is a tequila cider cocktail with cream de cassis and lemon juice. Enjoy. The Chimeo cocktail was created by Arturo Jaramillo, owner of the Ranchero de Chimeo restaurant in Chimeo, New Mexico, in 1965. Legend has it that Jaramillo was looking for a use for the apples that are plentiful in the Chimayo Valley when he developed this signature drink of his restaurant. For this recipe, you will need one and a half ounces tequila, one ounce apple cider, one quarter ounce lemon juice, one quarter ounce cream de cassis. Pour the tequila and unfiltered apple cider into a glass over ice. Add the lemon juice and cream de cassis and stir. Garnish with an apple slice and serve. The touch of cassis gives the drink a pleasant pale purplish hue and the sweetness needed to balance the tart lemon taste. Enjoy. Stuffed Beef Heart The possibilities are only limited by your cooking methods for beef heart. You could start simple, cut it up and grill it like you would any other steak. Or even easier, stick it in a crock pot with an onion and taco seasoning and cover with water and let go at least eight hours. Ten is best. When it's done, shred it for tacos. Multiple cultures serve it with eggs, which I think sounds delicious. Originally, I think that this was going to be a disturbing recipe of the past, but instead I'm pleasantly surprised to say that I can't wait to try this multicultural dish. Like any muscle meat, you could either cook it fast at high heat or low and slow, and I do mean slow. If you boil the heck out of it for two hours, you will get rubber. I saw so many folks start videos on cooking heart only to give up. But if you follow these simple temperature guidelines, you should love this super beefy meat. Rice also goes well with it. But today, I'm going to walk you through a mushroom and spinach stuffed heart. Give this mushroom and spinach stuffed beef heart recipe a try today and discover just how surprisingly tender and mildly flavored this superfood really is. For this recipe, you will need one large beef heart, about three and a half pounds, six thick slices of bacon cut crosswise into half-inch pieces, one medium yellow onion, chopped, one pound button mushrooms, chopped, two cloves of garlic, minced, one teaspoon of salt, one teaspoon of black pepper, and a half a pound of fresh spinach leaves. Rinse the heart really, really well under cold running water and pat it really dry. Cut the heart open if your butcher hasn't already done that and remove any visible strings, arteries, and blood vessels that may have been left behind. Trim off the excess fat, if any, and then set aside. In a large skillet over medium heat, cook the bacon until nice and crispy, and then remove it to a plate, but leave the fat in the pan. Add the onions, mushrooms, salt and pepper to the pan, and cook until softened and fragrant, about four to five minutes. Then throw in the spinach, crispy bacon, and chopped garlic. Stir well until the spinach is completely wilted, and continue cooking until all the liquid at the bottom of the pan has evaporated. 
Let cool for a few minutes. Preheat your oven to 275 degrees. Lay the beef heart fatty side down on the work surface and spoon the stuffing over it. Spread it all the way to the edge. Roll up the beef heart and tie it with a few strands of butcher's twine. You might want to run a piece across lengthwise and two or three crosswise. If you end up with a little too much stuffing, hang on to it. You can reheat it later in a small skillet and serve it alongside the roast. Melt a fair amount of cooking fat in a large oven-safe skillet set over scorching high heat. Sear the beef heart for two or three minutes per side until a nice golden crust forms. When the meat is nicely seared all around, transfer the skillet to the oven and cook the beef heart uncovered for 15 to 20 minutes per pound, depending on desired doneness, rare to medium rare. Remove the roast from the oven, tent it loosely with aluminum foil, and let rest for 10 minutes before slicing and serving. This recipe was based on Sarah Ballantyne's stuffed beef heart recipe as it appeared in the Paleo Approach cookbook. Enjoy! This just in! The most exciting time of the year is upon us at the Edgewood Congregational Church. The annual Holiday Bazaar. November 18th, 2023 from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. This year is bigger than ever. Lydia's Closet, the thrift store, has been collecting all sorts of really useful items. Stunning jewelry, clothing, and that's just them. We are filled to the brim with vendors. Food vendors you may recognize from the farmer's market. The Patuxent General itself will be chock full of pies to sell. The Bazaar will have games for the kids and pinball from Electromagnetic Pinball Museum and Restoration. Come join us November 18th, 2023, from 9 a.m. till 2 p.m. I'll meet you there. I want to tell you about my friend Mike and his Electromagnetic Pinball Museum and Restoration Arcade. It's an all-inclusive place to relax and share anything related to modern pinball and pinball and arcade games. A group of pinball and arcade fans with an addiction to games of all kinds and Lego too. $10 gets you free play on pinball and arcade games all day. You can find them at 881 Main Street, Pawtucket, Rhode Island, or online at www.electromagneticpinballmuseum.com. And now the story of the Connecticut Lighthouse Haunting. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step -step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step -step guide to starting your podcast today. In 1857, the government built a wooden daymark 
topped by a black ball and pointer on Connecticut Point. An article in the 1858 edition of the Providence Post didn't think much of it. The article said it consisted of nothing more than a box partly filled with stone, and it predicted that the ice in the severe season would soon carry it away. Two years later, ice did carry it away, and it was replaced by a spar buoy. The steamer Perry ran aground on Connecticut Point in February 1863. The spar buoy marking the point had been moved. When it was reset, it was placed too far west. Another ship, the schooner Hannah, went aground on the point in November 1863. In 1866, a day beacon was built on the shoal off Connecticut Point. A fourth-order Fresnel lens was placed on the tower, was first lighted on November 1, 1868. The Nyat Point lighthouse was discontinued that day. The new lighthouse did not have any keeper's quarters. The keepers lived at the former Nyat Point light and rowed nearly a mile to the Connecticut Point lighthouse. On February 27, 1874, Horace W. Arnold was appointed keeper. Arnold, a Rhode Island native and Civil War veteran, had just served two years as an assistant keeper at the Beavertail Light. A little over a year later, in early March 1875, Arnold was at the five-room keeper's dwelling with his young son when drifting ice, driven by strong northeast winds, abruptly smashed into the structure. The Arnolds were lucky to escape with their lives as the house broke apart. They were rescued several hours later by the tug Resilience, captained by Nat Sutton. Sutton spotted Arnold on a mattress on the drifting ice floe, later describing him as sitting like a man on a magic carpet. The keeper's hands and feet were frozen, and it was some months before he could resume his duties. Captain John Whedon, keeper of the Sabin Point Lighthouse, volunteered to row to Connecticut Light and care for the light. As he was performing his duties, Whedon's boat was destroyed by ice, stranding him. A snowstorm set in, and Whedon calmly prepared himself a breakfast of tea and johnny cakes. He then rang the fog bell until he was finally rescued that evening. For the next few years, the keepers lived at the house at the old Nyat Point Light and rowed to the light. In 1882, the old granite tower was torn down and a new cast-iron spark-plug-style light was built, with a fourth-order Fresnel lens and a fixed white light visible for 15 miles. The keeper's bedroom was one level below the lantern room. The room was described in 1891 as pretty, with blue walls, an ash bedroom set, and arched windows. Horace Arnold was credited with saving the lives of five people during his 12 years at the Connecticut Light. An article at the Newport Daily News mentioned in passing that one of Arnold's son lost his life after a fall from the lighthouse onto the rocks below. It is believed that his is one of the first ghosts to haunt the lighthouse. The early keepers generally remained at the offshore lighthouse for a few years at most, but Daniel MacDonald remained there for 11 years, 1895 to 1906. Every Rhode Island coastal town has their own maritime ghost stories, be it the fiery ghost ship Palatine, seen in December's off Block Island, or the mournful cries of pirates who were executed to Gravely Point in Newport, 
or The Ghost of Judy at Point Judith Lighthouse. All over the coast there are stories of the tragic loss from the sea, and here in Warwick we have our own ghost at the Connecticut Lighthouse. By 1883, the Connecticut Light was a spark plug type lighthouse, and by 1922, the family of Ellsworth Smith was calling the lighthouse home. Speaking to the Coast Guard men who tended the Connecticut Light after the lighthouse service was merged with the Coast Guard in 1939, it was difficult duty. You were in an offshore light, but from the light you could see the skyline of the city of Providence and see and hear the sounds of the local amusement park, Rocky Point. Despite the excitement just outside your door, weather and work would determine if you would be allowed to come ashore and enjoy what the community had to offer. And this lifestyle was taking its toll on the Smith family. Nellie Smith, the wife of Keeper Ellsworth Smith, began begging her husband to allow her and the children to go ashore and spend time away from the light. But working the light was a family affair, and it was necessary for Nellie and the children to remain at the lighthouse and help tend the light. This was especially true one fateful day, when Ellsworth had to go into town to buy supplies for the lighthouse. Nellie could take no more of being at the isolated light, and she found Ellsworth's keys and unlocked the medicine cabinet. In the cabinet were some poison tablets, and she gave each of the children one of the tablets and took one herself. She told the children it was candy. Nellie and the two children then lay down in the bedroom of the lighthouse to die. Returning home that evening, Keeper Ellsworth Smith found his wife and two-year-old son dead from the poison. The five-year-old was sick but had spit out the pill because he did not like the taste. He was still very ill and Keeper Smith rowed him back to shore and he was taken to a local doctor to recover. The child recovered at his aunt's home, and for that night, the Connecticut light was unlit. By 1966, the lighthouse was automated. A cable had been laid to convert the lighthouse to electricity, and it is reported that this is the first lighthouse in the United States to be electrified. This is in dispute because, for a short time after the 1938 hurricane, the Prudent Silent Light had an electric cable running to it from the local power plant. But that is another story. By now, three people had lost their lives at the Connecticut Light. Keepers would report hearing a woman crying on dark nights, and sometimes keepers would hear a child playing and items being moved about the lighthouse. By the 1970s, there were no longer keepers in the lighthouse, and the ghost of the Connecticut Light had all but been forgotten. The Connecticut Light was automated and maintained by the U.S. Coast Guard Aids to Navigation Team in Bristol, Rhode Island. In the early 1970s, teenagers would go to the Warwick Light nearby and sneak into the gated restricted property and slap the lighthouse three times with an open hand and call, Nellie! Nellie, Nellie, in order to conjure the spirit of Nellie Smith with the mistaken belief that this was the lighthouse where she had killed herself and her child. There had been reports from the Coast Guard ANT when working on the Connecticut Light that tools would disappear and they would hear what sounded like a young child laughing followed by a woman crying, but a check of the structure indicated nothing was found. The keeper's quarters are now in disrepair and closed to the public. The city of Warwick is now the owner of the lighthouse, receiving the title in 2004. 
but its light still maintained by A.N.T. Bristol, with the help of Keeper Arnold's son, one wonders. But on a clear, calm night, sitting on Connecticut Point Beach, you may see a ghostly figure who appears to be working on the light, and if you listen carefully, you may hear a young child laughing, followed by a woman crying. To this day, these waters carry a heavy death toll. The rip currents around the lighthouse are deadly and can come over the sandbar with no notice. Someone who doesn't know the area well would never see the danger coming. For just these reasons alone, the area is drenched in death. At least every two years, someone dies there, often while trying to save others. Perhaps it is a coincidence that these deaths occur on odd-numbered years. Or that rarely is it ever a woman who passes. What to do about this sandbar is hotly disputed. Opinions range from do nothing, swimmers beware, to having the Army Corps of Engineers remove it, to just adding international signage. My questions are: How many generations of odd-numbered, horrible deaths does it take to curse a piece of land or water? How many hearts must be broken to haunt an area? And the building, which seems to be its nexus, you can see for yourself at Connecticut Point Park. I just wouldn't go swimming. My sources today were New England Lighthouses: A Virtual Guide, The Warwick Beacon, Rhode Island Lighthouse History, TheHealthyFoodie.com, and Wikipedia. Thank you once again for joining us today at the Patuxent General. If you would like to reach out with a comment, question, local ghost story, an order for the Pop-Up General Store, our email is jess at patuxentgeneral.com. Please reach out. We can't wait to hear from you. But until next time, I'll meet you right back here at the Patuxent General. A something for posterity production, pre-recorded in Patuxent.